Listener supported. WNYC Studios. A content warning before we start. This episode discusses childhood sexual assault. Tobin. Kathy. Have you ever written a song? Um, I've written a song one time. It was for an assignment in a music theory class when I was a freshman in college. Mm -hmm. And the assignment was truly just to write like a melody, like it could be instrumental, like on a piano or a cello. Okay. I was in a rebel phase where I thought of myself as like a badass. Oh, God. So I wrote a song with lyrics. Tobin, was this like a punk rock phase of your life? No, it was like a chorale. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) But the lyrics... And this is where I was really a badass. The lyrics were making fun of the dean of the music school because he had a fake British accent. Oh my God, Tobin. (laughs) But like, in my defense, it was so pretentious. And it wasn't even a fake British accent. It was just that he pronounced words pretentiously. Like? So somebody once heard him say, I hear it's going to rain soon. I might need my umbrella. Like, unacceptable, you know? Unacceptable. Okay, how did, the, how did the song go over in class? Oh, like gangbusters. My theory teacher asked me for a copy of the song afterwards because she liked it so much. Wow, good job, Tobin. Thank you. From WNYC Studios. This is Nancy. With your hosts, Tobin Lowe and Kathy Tu. So, Kathy. Yes, Tobin? We are not alone in the studio. No, we are joined today by radio producer Daniel Gross. Hello. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. You two are friends, right? You go back. We go way back. Daniel and I go back to 2014, Germany. Deutschland. That's where we met. You met in Germany? Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. That's Is that all I get? End of story. Okay, cool. Now he's here. No more for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Daniel, you have another story for us. Which starts with sort of a coming out, right? Yeah, it starts with sort of an accidental coming out. So this story is about Miosha Smith, who's in her late 20s. She's Black, and she loves to sing. And in June 2014, Miosha decides that she's going to go visit her brother Joe for his birthday. So she goes to the train station in New York City, and she goes to visit him upstate. And the way they hang out, they're always teasing each other, And she brings him up to speed in her life, and suddenly she uses the word girlfriend. I mentioned her, and I was like, yeah, my girlfriend. And he was just like, oh, so what is this? And I was like, what do you mean, what is this? I was so used to being out in the outside world that it just came naturally to say, oh, yeah, my girlfriend, and my girlfriend this, and my girlfriend that. Like, you know, I'm just giving him a rundown of my life. I just remember his face. He looked perplexed. He looked very confused. Joe seems very uncomfortable with the idea that his sister could be gay. But they're not exactly in a good place to have that conversation. And the reason is that Joe is in Sing Sing Correctional Facility. He's serving 25 years to life on a murder conviction. He killed someone while he was in a Brooklyn gang. And so visiting him from Yosha means passing through a metal detector, getting her hand stamped, and then entering this visit room where they're surrounded by families of incarcerated people. It's large, 
full of chairs and empty at the same time, if that makes sense, until it's full and all you hear are murmurs of everyone else's conversations. And there's a view. Obstructed uh, by the barbed wire, yes, um, but it's a pretty view of the river. Um, and I guess it's, it's a little mean, a little cynical of the prison to do that. It's like, oh, let me just place this prison and show this barbed wire friends across the Hudson River. And it's just like, it's like I'm, I have freedom, but I don't. Miosha's brother Joe is tall, and he looks like he works out. He thinks of himself as a man of faith, and he has this strong presence that kind of shows in his face. I've never seen him bewildered before, and I've never seen him give anyone that kind of look because he's so sure about everything. He's the man with the answer, and this was one thing I feel like he did not have an answer to. Did he look disapproving? Um... I don't think he tried to look that way, but he did. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, it, you know, sometimes our face says, uh, says more than we expect. And in that moment, his did. So suddenly the tone of the conversation changes. And Miosha tells her brother, yes, I'm gay. He doesn't seem to know what to say after that. So he changes the subject, and they end up making awkward small talk. Miosha left the prison that day and got on the train to New York City. She stared out at the Hudson River and felt crushed, like her big brother disapproved of her. It was a hard day for both of them. Joe and Miosha had been through a lot together, and they had a lot to lose. Yeah, I tend to disassociate things and compartmentalize them and just, uh, I'm going to hide this in a small space. Like I needed a hug in that moment, and the only person to give it to me was myself. Um, and I went home, and I had been living with um, my ex-girlfriend at the time. And I was just like, I just need a hug. And she was like, how's the visit? I was like, I'm scared. I, need, I just need a hug. And she just hugged me. I went to visit Joe to ask how he remembered that conversation. Joe is still in Sing Sing, and I took the train up to see him, just like Miosha had. Joe told me that his feelings about homosexuality are complicated, and they go back to when he was growing up in Brooklyn, New York. As a kid, Joe's mom suffered from drug addiction and wasn't always around. His grandmother had health problems, but she did her best to raise him and run a daycare business. So Joe learned from a young age to be a caretaker. I was about seven years old when she said, I'm going to teach you how to make something, and it was home fries. This was the first time I actually was at, you no know, use the stove by myself. Were they good? They were good. <laughs> Joe was 12 when Miosha was born. They're half-siblings, same mom, different dads. For a couple years, they all lived under the same roof. They went to church a lot, and they loved watching this movie called The Five Heartbeats. Our final act tonight have been singing together since high school. Ladies and gentlemen, The Five Heartbeats. Come on, let's hear it for them. <laughs> which is about the rise and fall of an R&B band. We would usually watch The Five Heartbeats, and we would literally like watch it over and over and over again. We would, and she would sing every single scene. Not every song, every scene. Ain't got no fashion car. At the same time, Joe was like the big brother of the family. 
which was kind of like being a dad. I kind of like took on the responsibilities of what a parent would do. Like, okay, changing diapers. I started packing groceries uh, down at the local supermarket. When their grandmother passed away, Joe and Miosha were split up. Miosha lived with her mom a while and eventually landed in foster care. Joe was sent to live with a male relative who worked as a preacher. This is where things got really bad, right? There was um, a culture that was uh, uh, illicit sexual activity with minors, and it was just, like, really awful. And whenever I brought it up, I was, I was uh, told that I was lying. Joe looked up to this guy. He thought of him as a messenger of God, and that kind of messed him up. After enduring what I endured, I couldn't understand why God would allow someone to be his messenger, yet destroy me. I couldn't understand that. And so for a long time, I didn't believe in God at all. Miosha was dealing with her own struggles around sexuality and God, but in a totally different way. She was around nine when she realized that she liked girls, but it took her a decade to actually start dating. I, like, flirted with this girl for, like, two months, and then I was like, no, Jesus is going to hate me, so we can't do this anymore. <laughs> um, and um, did, did you believe that? Yes, and I still kind of do. At this point, Miosha and Joe were living apart, dealing with their own challenges. But at the same time, something that kind of saved them both was music. I had this really weird obsession with Michael Jackson <laughs> um, when I was probably like seven or eight. And we had gotten a dog and I wanted to name the dog Michael Jackson. And my mom was like, you can't name a dog that. And I was like, why? I can sing with it. And I thought dogs could sing. Wow, innocence, so beautiful. Sometimes music was kind of an escape. Joe learned to love Prince from one of his aunts. I used to play that song over and over and over because I just couldn't. It was like the way he was moving through the song. I know we need each other. I know that you are my fix. And I'm like, yo, he, he just moving in the song. So when life with the relative got really bad, Joe would grab his Walkman. He'd put on his headphones and hang out on the block. That way he didn't have to go home. Uh, it's a black woman and child. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For you, I really have so much love. Dollar bills and coins will fade away. Could never make I so grow. I listened to more music at that time than I think I've listened to in my entire life because I zoned out. When I walked into the house, I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to be a part of any conversation. So to avoid interaction, I actually like wore my headphones literally all day. He would shop for reggae cassette tapes on Utica Avenue. Sometimes he'd steal them. I can remember even going to do what we would call a meow 
as we call it, because relating to cat burglary, <laughs> like going on the meow and um, actually having my Walkman on during. Wait, so you like walked into a store to steal something and you had your headphones on? Yes, literally with my headphones on, music up. Eventually, Joe started getting caught. He spent stints in jail on Rikers Island. And even there, music was a big part of his life. It was like there was a song for every occasion, including getting dumped. My girlfriend at the time, I called her. And this is funny how this is connected to music. But I called her and she basically broke up with me uh, using the Lauryn Hill song. Um, I don't know the name of it, but it's care for me, care for me. I thought you care for me, there for me, there for me. She just put the song on, and I literally listened to that entire song. It was like a goodbye, right? Um, this is through the phone at Rikers Island? Yes. When Joe got out of jail that time, he went back to the streets. His relationship was finished. He was alone. So he chose the life he knew. You know, I started hanging out with people that were doing bigger and more illicit things and more dangerous things. And yeah, that's what that road led me all the way up to the point where I actually killed someone, um, which is like the worst thing that you can possibly do. Do you remember the day when you realized your brother was going to be in prison for a long time? Um, yes, I do. I often revisit that day. Um, I was 13. I was in junior high school, and I don't know why, but one of the kids had the newspaper clipping with his name and his face in it. And they were like, yo, ain't that your brother? And I was like, oh. And I remember what it said, like I, verbatim, it said, wanted Joseph Weak Wilson. Instead of Weck, they spelled his tag name wrong. And he was 25. He was 25, and he was going to jail for life. This was different this time. This wasn't a six-month skid bid. This wasn't a year. And I'm thinking, what were you thinking? Joe was convicted and sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. And that kind of sentence, that kind of time, started to change him. One time in prison, he ran into this guy he knew from Brooklyn. He was like a totally different person. I was like, I'm talking to him the way we used to speak, and he's not... He's not giving me the same energy. And I'm like, what's happening? And he said, look, bro, no, I'm not doing that no more. I'm doing this. I suggest you do, you know, get, your, get yourself together. Okay. And that, I started going to church, you know, because I, I, I still believed, I guess. And I was like, well, maybe I, I need to find where God is. I asked Joe how he felt about homosexuality when he was getting back into the church. And he said that his experiences with that male relative growing up led him to make some wrong assumptions. Well, because of what happened with me, I just kind of felt like they were molesters and evil and whatever the case may be. Over the years, Miosha would visit Joe. They'd talk about how school was going. Joe had recently gotten married, so they'd talk about that. And they would tease each other, just like they always had. It felt good to see each other and talk. And then came the visit, 
the visit when Miosha accidentally came out to her brother. I asked Joe how that moment felt for him. She's my little sister. So naturally, or to me naturally, I'm believing that, well, she'll have a boyfriend and she'll have children. So when she says, oh, I'm gay, that changes like the entire book that I've written about her life. I had to burn it. Joe and Miosha both told me that on that day, there was more that they wanted to say to each other. But neither of them could find the right words. So now I'm thinking to myself, well, what have I missed? And this is not who I once knew. She's someone else. I have to really get to know her over again. Joe says that immediately he had all of these questions, but he didn't want their conversation to be a big deal. What I was trying to do was carry on, right? Um, There's not a lot of time on the visits. Um, I hadn't seen her in a, a little while, so... What I wanted to do was, like, enjoy the visit. Enjoy our time, because it's sacred. After she saw his reaction, she didn't want to go back. He would send her letters, checking in. But he never wrote about the conversation that they had. And Miosha didn't write back. I think that a lot of people leave you while you're in prison. I've seen relationships come and go. Was that a fear that she just wouldn't come back into your life? That was definitely a fear. It was a, it was definitely a real fear of mine. It was something I didn't want to happen. Man, it felt like that's what was happening, you know. Weeks went by, then months, and suddenly it's been years since he's seen his sister Miosha. Coming up. Joe tries to find a way to win his sister back. Nancy will be back in a minute. What did it feel like to not see her for so long? I didn't know how to really interpret that, right? Um... Because I had reached out to her, she wasn't, she wasn't uh, reaching back, and uh, I thought maybe I, I, I felt like I had done something wrong. I felt like I had said something wrong. I've, I thought of him often. I thought of him often. Um, <laughs> I actually received a card from him on my 25th birthday, <laughs> and it was like, he's very snarky. And the card was just like, Oh, hey, sister, hope you have a great birthday. And um, maybe it'll bring us closer for another year to be wiser and stronger. And at that moment, I still wasn't, you know, there yet. At this point, it's been years since Joe saw Miosha. He's tried calling. He's tried writing. But all he gets is silence. I never let on how much I was actually hurting. It was generic. It was... Oh, you know, come out whenever you want to. You know, you always come. Uh, hope you're doing all right. Uh, happy birthday. You know, hope you're doing well in college. In prison, Joe had a lot of time on his hands. Around that time, he heard about a program run by Carnegie Hall called Musical Connections. It taught incarcerated men how to play instruments and how to write music. They also ran a songwriting contest, and the winning song would be performed inside Carnegie Hall. Classical music was a big part of the program. 
So Joe gave himself a mission. He was going to become a classical fan. One day, in his cell, he tunes into the local classical station, WQXR. I lay down on my bed. I turned the lights out because I really wanted to, like, concentrate on the music itself. I really wanted to hear it. So I turned the lights out. I put my headphones as far as I could and just lay there and listen and listen and listen and listen and listen and listen and listen. Ten minutes pass. Twenty minutes. And Joe's like, wait a second. How is this song still going? It was grueling initially. The first time I put it on, there was a song, a symphony. And I was like, this song's not over yet? Literally a half hour. But Joe started to feel something. I got to have an epiphany. I'm listening, I'm like, okay, this is not about just keeping the time. This is about conveying a, a thought, conveying a picture where there's no words. They're really moving from emotion to emotion. And then it started to make sense for me. Then it became easier to listen to. For Joe, music started to seem like this beautiful kind of math. He loved thinking about musical structure, how you can add voices together to create something that's more than the sum of its parts. Like maybe music was a way to communicate big, complicated emotions that he was feeling. Joe wrote a song to submit to the Carnegie Hall contest. It was called Gnarly Knees, and it included one verse that was about his sister. Who am I to tell you who to love? Who am I if God's our only judge? But if tolerance is key, it can't be hate to disagree. And love doesn't like everything it sees. And I, I never knew if the song would ever reach her ears. But I think I, at some point I realized that I really needed to say it. And I said it in the song. At this point, Miosha and Joe are not talking. They haven't seen each other in years. But coincidentally, at the same time that Joe is using music to work through his feelings, Miosha goes through a bad breakup. And she discovers songwriting as a way to talk about it. I asked her, can you stay with me? I even begged and plead, baby, please don't leave me. I asked her why she had to leave. Was it something that I've done? Maybe I'm no longer fun. Did those feelings go away? Baby, I need you to stay. I've always been a singer. I've never, i not saying I never wanted to write. I didn't believe in my capability of writing um, until I had hit this point in my life. And I'm just like, you know what? What makes me me? And it's music. It's always been music. Music has been everything to me. So I'm just like, you know what? Maybe I should write my own stuff. Joe submitted his song to the Carnegie Hall contest. And to his amazement, he won. The song he wrote in a prison cell was going to be performed inside Carnegie Hall. Joe called his wife and told her all about it. And she decided to call Miosha 
and tell her all about it. Which was good timing. Miyosha had this feeling that she couldn't explain. If something's wrong with someone that I care about, I feel it in my body. I may get an ache in a place that I don't usually get it, or my heart literally starts to like ache and hurt. Um, and he was just placed on my heart. Like, it was just heaviness there. Was there something that triggered your thoughts of him and like brought him back into your mind? Um, I mean, I had pictures of him like in my apartment, but I'm not really sure. I just started thinking about him. After that, Miosha decided that it was finally time to visit Joe. What was it like to lay eyes on him for the first time in four or five years? It's like you got fat. (laughs) Joseph was always um, very small in stature. So like seeing him be buff and now like kind of have a little gut. And I'm just like, your old age is showing, buddy. hate to break it to you. You need to... And I bet he made fun of you back. Oh, absolutely. And he's like, well, you haven't grown. So I'm just like, uh. He's like, you're still short. Yeah, pretty much. Joe and Miosha start talking about what they've been up to lately. And that's when they realize that both of them have found a passion for songwriting. It's a connection they never had before. Miosha sang her song for Joe. He started suggesting lines. And then they started talking about his song, Gnarly Knees. Then he's like, well, I wrote this song. Um based on our interaction. And I was like, huh? He's like, remember when you came and you told me? And I was like, I remembered it, but I like, I, I didn't want to think about it in that moment. He's like, you know, I thought you didn't come because you were mad at me. And I was like, oh, I kind of was mad at you. Music starts as this thing that Miosha and Joe both like talking about, feel comfortable talking about. But then it becomes this language that they speak. And that starts conversations that they never had before. Not long after their reunion, Gnarly Knees was performed in Carnegie Hall. Joe wasn't allowed to be there, but Miosha was in the audience. And afterwards, they spoke on the phone. Or uh, Joe, Joe Wilson, you sound established, man. Look at you, coming up in the world. I'm trying. <laughs> trying, to be with, trying to be like you when I grow up. Goals. Nah, you good. Goals. Uh, you inspired me, definitely. <laughs> it, was, it was really, really moving. Um, I was very impressed. And I noticed, I saw which part was like our, our part. Uh-huh. And I like I was like, oh, I didn't cry though. Did you get it? No, yes, I got it. Like a duh. Nah, I'm a, I gotta be a thug in these streets for Daniel. <laughs> Daniel can't see me crying. <laughs> Music gave Joe and Miosha a new connection, but the old tension is still there. As Joe says in his song, "Love doesn't like everything it sees." Do you think it hurts Miosha? to know that you disagree with something that she does or that you think that she needs forgiveness for what she does? I don't, I, uh, that's a good question. But I think that in deepening our relationship, that's a question I would ask her because I would like to know. And if it does, 
then I think that we'll kind of steer clear of that, and I wouldn't discuss that with her anymore because I don't want to hurt feelings. That's not my intention. My intention is to, to understand her and for her to understand me. And once we have an understanding, we can love one another. There's still a lot of things that Joe and Miosha need to say to each other. For now, music is kind of their middle ground. I told Miosha what Joe said to me, that he loves her very much. And at the same time, he disagrees with her. Um, I think that's his politically correct answer. And I don't feel like he'll ever accept homosexuality as a whole, but he wants me to be happy. He wants the individual to be happy. Um, you get what you can take. Do you think that's where the story ends with that part of your relationship? Do you think it will always be this way? Um, I hope not. I don't know. I think it's time. Time will tell. That's the best way to put that one. Time will definitely tell. Um, I heard Miosha came up here recently with someone else. Oh, okay, yeah, she came up with um, with her girlfriend, Lou. She was cool, man. And we actually really bonded. She's nice. I, I enjoyed it. We had some really deep conversation. Like, she's really into um, science. <laughs> so we talked about the sciences, and that was cool. Like, I, and I enjoyed her company. I really like her. Every time he calls, it just so happens that I'm always with my girlfriend. Um, so he'll say hello to her and they'll have a slight little conversation. And just like, OK, guys, he called to speak to me. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> that was radio producer Daniel Gross. Special thanks to reporter John J. Lennon, who first brought our attention to this story. Also thanks to Carnegie Hall Musical Connections. Engineering help this week from Anya Gzezik. Okay, and that's our show. But before we go, we have a special project in the works and we need your help. In the months ahead, we're going to be exploring the ways that the economy is built for straight cisgender people. And how queer people navigate that system. Maybe it's in planning a wedding or trying to figure out how to get health care or start a family. You know, there are so many times that money plays a part in the milestones in our lives. So we want to know, has there been a time when you've noticed you've had it harder navigating money than your friends who aren't queer? We want to hear about it. Record a voice memo telling us about your queer money moments and send it to nancy at wnyc.org. That's nancy at wnyc.org. We may end up using your story on the show. Now, credits. Our producer, Alice Wilder. Production fellow, Temi Fagbenle. Sound designer, Jeremy Bloom. Editor, Jenny Lawton. Executive producer, Paula Schumann. I'm Kathy Tu. I'm Tobin Lowe. And Nancy is a production of WNYC Studios. What's Gilbert and Sullivan? Like, I am the very model of a modern major general.